My guest today is Larry Wilson. Larry is a working screenwriter whose movie credits include such classics as Beetlejuice, The Addams Family, and Little Vampire, and whose current screenplay, Loose Spooks, is about to be unleashed on the marketplace. Larry also wrote and directed for the HBO series Tales from the Crypt for six seasons and had the honor of a colorized Alfred Hitchcock introducing his first produced credit, The Jar, directed by Tim Burton. Along with his writing career, Larry's taught screenwriting for over 30 years and has just launched the Wilson Workshop, where he'll be offering classes, consultations, and for the first time ever, a year-long mentoring program. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. It's showtime. This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something. But what are you a geek for? Larry Wilson, welcome to Geek 4. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Oh, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here, Michael. You are best known as a screenwriter, and I want to talk to you about your love of movies, because I know from reading some interviews that you've done, listening to different podcasts you've been on, you have a really eclectic range of movies that you consider beloved films of yours. That's kind of where I want to start. Um, can you tell me the first deep memory Larry Wilson has about going to the movies and seeing something and just being struck by the magic of movies? I'll tell you a movie that, that changed my life when I was six years old. This will date me, but I date myself. I have no false pride about my age, but there, there was a movie called earth versus flying saucers. And it had wonderful special effects by Ray Harryhausen, who did all the saucers. It had disintegrating rays. It had robots. It had Washington, D.C., the White House being crashed into by a flying saucer, the original version of that. Sorry, Independence Day. (laughs) Um, And I had a stutter at that point in my life, Michael. And I was seeing a speech therapist. That movie so jacked me up, made me so excited. I went in and I told my speech therapist about it and I didn't stutter anymore. I had a movie that that solved my speech impediment. Uh, So that was one that's very memorable to me. Uh, The movie I always, that I always have to talk about in terms of like true inspiration uh, is The Bride of Frankenstein. Um, it was it was a movie I saw on television uh, for the first time. We we had uh, at, in Los Angeles at, at the time I saw it. There was something called the Shock Theater, and it was on Saturday nights. And they had purchased they the TV station had purchased a package of all the classic Universal horror films, and uh, so it was one of those every week, hosted by a host who came out in a coffin and. You know, and then and I loved all those universal horror movies. I still do. But The Bride of Frankenstein was actually something uh, I found incredibly special. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I could talk about it for hours. Uh, I think it's an iconic film. I think it's actually a perfect film. I think it's a very audacious film. Uh, And I think that lit the, the, the light for me you know, at a very young, naive age that I needed to do something uh, involving horror movies and maybe something, again, in a very naive way that was going to be like The Bride of Frankenstein. Mm. 
Bride of Frankenstein is a remarkable film. It's a film that I personally try to rewatch every Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, I don't go back to Frankenstein as often as Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. I think you're right. It's a much better film. Um, yeah, it is. And there's a brilliance, and I'm, I'm going to um, I'm, I'm going to stroke your ego here a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. In in Beetlejuice, which you wrote, you don't have Beetlejuice in the film the whole time. Like you kind of yeah. hold back on him and there's a brilliance in having the bride very much on the margins. Yeah. <laughs> so when she yeah. actually appears, it means something. I like, yeah. I just think that that's whales decision to do that is so brilliant. You, you, it, it is. Yeah. 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 And you know, and it, that's interesting about Beetlejuice. I mean, I think that he's in it for 24 minutes, Beetlejuice. Mm. And it's a complete, I, I mean, it's such a, I mean, obviously iconic performance from Michael Keaton, but it really is a case of less is more. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Yeah. And it definitely feels, uh, maybe you agree, maybe you, you don't be curious to hear your take on this. It feels in films being made today, the emphasis is as much on more is more films yeah. tend to be three hours long. They tend to be uh, incredibly broad and big and they, you know, don't give that, room for imagination in the audiences and it just feels like there's something not quite there that used to be there and i don't want to be the old codger saying you know oh well things used to be better it's definitely great performances definitely great films um but that that restraint seems to be missing yeah well you know i in regards to like there's talk now i mean there's been talk since beetlejuice was was released about Beetlejuice 2. Yes. Uh, uh, and honestly, Michael, uh, there, 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 there's another rounds of talks about it. I hope it happens mm-hmm. because to be candid, I will make a lot of money. <laughs> which, <laughs> which, <laughs> I, have, I have a family to support and all of that. But beyond that, uh, I want it to be good. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, because that movie was lightning in a bottle. And I, I've done, I, I think I've done a lot of good work, but that's the movie I'm going to be remembered for. And what would, cons- but I don't think this is going to happen because I think the gatekeepers, the people who are, who will oversee it will be aware of this too. But I would hate it to be just packed with CGI uh, because they can yeah now and i would and and that the oh the idea is that oh if beetlejuice you know knocked him dead at 24 minutes let's put him in it for you know for 90 minutes and that would be sincerely i'd rather it not happen than it not be good yeah but that gets again back to a lot of less is more and what you're saying and you know i'd like uh, I, I like a lot of uh, the Marvel films. Uh-huh. I, I genuinely do. But there are more is more and more and then some more. Yeah. When they work, they work well. But when they don't, for me, they become exhausting. And they seem to require so much of the audience. That's the other thing mm-hmm. that I have real mm-hmm. concerns about is as we get into these very big franchises where everything is connected and you have to see all of the pieces. It's just, I, I mean, I'm a film prof. I love movies. It's hard to keep up with all that stuff. Uh, it really, yeah. really is. 
The, uh, I, I feel it would be remiss if I uh, let this opportunity pass by. The sequel title I had always heard for Beetlejuice, like right from the beginning, was Beetlejuice Goes to Hawaii. Any truth to that? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'll tell you an interesting semi-out-of-school story. Okay. Uh, if you want me to edit it out, let me know. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it'd be fine. So when they're first, we're talking about after the original Beetlejuice became like a, a surprise hit. Uh, uh, there was already talk about a sequel. And I said to my agent at the time, uh, don't, don't you think you should call Warner Brothers and say maybe Larry should be in on the writing of it? <laughs> the sequel kind of made sense to me. Oh. And what, what my agent said to me completely non-ironically was, well, you know, Larry, I talked to I talked to, to Warner's and they feel like you're too close to the project for the sequel, which is like such brilliant studio speak. I, you, you know, uh, so I said, OK, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, welcome to Hollywood again. Yes. Uh, and then when I heard like Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian floating around, I thought, Maybe I'm glad I'm not working on this sequel. You may have dodged a bullet. Maybe I'm really, really glad because that is the most awful yeah. idea I, I've yeah. ever heard. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's great. That's great. And I mean, yeah. you were a, a studio executive. Did you ever use that line yourself? Uh, you're too close to the project. Did you adopt no, that into your? No, oh. no, I did. I did not. And I primarily work with writers mm -hmm. uh, who genuinely really loved working with me because I was one of them. Yeah. I had, I had uh, left behind writing for a while to become a studio executive, but I, I kind of, I think understood the breed, yeah. but no, I never would have, <laughs> I, 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 I never, I never would have said that to a writer. Terrible pat answer to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I get that. Yeah. Talk yeah. about other movies. Uh, I know, you know, you, you did Adam Roach's podcast. Adam is the person who connected us. Thank you, Adam. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a film that influenced you for, I think you, you tied it to Adam's family, Chewy Hark's Chinese ghost story, which, I mean, I just yeah. was like, wow. Um, Cause nobody knows about that film over here. Um, talk to me about like some of these other cult classic international films that you start seeing and are, are amazed by. I've had two, well, I've had many extraordinary experiences due to films that I love, but two that stand out for me, uh, and they're, they're both, uh, I, I'll, I'll tell the Chewy Hark story because uh, there's, but uh, it, I, there was an actor and he was, he, he was after Toshiro Mifune, uh sort of like was moving out of making films. He, an actor named Ken Takakura, mm -hmm. who, who was the biggest movie star in Japan. And he made uh, Yakuza movies, those gangster movies where he would end up at the end stripped to the waist tattooed with a sword <laughs> killing about a hundred people <laughs> they were great yeah. and i uh and that's a longer story but i actually wrote ken takakura a fan letter and said i'd like to come to japan and tell you about a movie i want to write and i was like 20 and broke at this point and and my god it happened i mean and that but what, what, what happened? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a, it, it, it's a great story actually. I, uh, and I, I got to 
work with with Taka Kurkin and amazing. But what happened, sort of similar with, with Chili Hark, um, uh, there were at the time, this was the 80s, there were like four or five Chinese movie theaters in Los Angeles. Okay. And myself and a couple of friends would go all the time. We we love Hong Kong because they're Hong Kong movies, Hong Kong cinema. Yeah. You know, the Shaw brothers, uh, uh, particularly, uh, but, you know, the early Jackie Chan's, uh, the, the drunken master movies, great just movies. great, amazing <laughs> stuff. And you'd never seen it before. Yeah. You'd never seen anything like it. And but when I saw Chinese Ghost Story, that was the one. Mm. And and for for your audience, Michael, and I'm sure you will <clears throat> agree with me. If you haven't seen it, see it. It's oh, yeah. it's a classic. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a it's a classic. Absolutely. So th this was another case. I forget exactly how I got in contact with, with Chewy, but uh, it just basically was as a fan who fell in love with his films. And then I was working with a, with a very brilliant band uh, called Sparks, uh, uh, who, and we wanted to do a, a, a manga uh, called My the Psychic Girl as a musical. And, and uh, which was like, a, you, you talk about an idea that was ahead of its time, but that's a whole nother story. But, <laughs> but we approached Chewy um, and he said, that sounds great, come to Hong Kong. And I ended up working with Chewy for probably two, two and a half years, going back and forth from America to Hong Kong. And the, and the first day we arrived, we went to the set, he was shooting. And there was literally like a monsoon coming. Mm -hmm. Okay. But, but they were, they were, they were continuing to film and I got to watch how they made, you know, those great flying sword fights. I got to see how they, how they made the samurais fly. And at that time it wasn't CGI. It was uh, workmen grips holding big bamboo poles with, with fishing line, uh, the transparent fishing line hooked to these flying samurais doing these incredibly acrobatic fights, mind blowing. It was just, it was, and, and, and Chewy shot until the set blew down, literally until the set blew, blew down. And I thought I have arrived. This is like, and, and it was an extraordinary experience, but, but so, but so that translated into Gomez, Gomez, you know, in the, in the Adams family, uh, he was he became a cross in many ways between Errol Flynn and Robin Hood and a, and, a, and a great and a great but a great sword fighter. And he's very acrobatic in the Adams family. And that was a direct homage to uh, Chewy Hark. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Mm -hmm. I, I loved those films, that era of filmmaking from Hong Kong. And I've heard, yeah. you know probably not that apocryphal stories about working conditions being a little, you know, you said they continue to film during a monsoon. Uh, well, you know, away. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I felt kind of like, this is as close. I, I have a great love for silent movies uh, and, and that era of the 1920s. And I had a feeling in some ways, I suppose in some regards to the, I guess the safety conditions, but also the way the crews worked and everyone did some of everything and, and all of that, that I thought this is as close as I'm ever going to get to lot like, like the wild frontier uh, yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. movie making. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like safety last or, or the yeah, general. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, except this was a Chinese temple blowing down. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also know that you are a, a huge fan of the Marx Brothers Duck Soup. Yes. Um, which is, I think, one of my top five films easily. Uh, yeah, maybe me too. The most perfect comedy, I think. Like just yeah. nonstop yeah. insanity. I don't yeah. know how else to describe it. I'm curious, like, where are you seeing these, these films? Like repertory theaters, television. I'm curious about the non- internet era of, of film uh, acquisition. Oh, yes. Back in the day, my son. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it, it, it was it was true. Um, and we're we're going way back in the time machine. So like I moved to Los Angeles in 1967. Okay. I was I mean, like 17 years old, I think. And that time is remembered for this incredibly vibrant music scene in Los Angeles. And that was mm -hmm. certainly true. But also the, the the film scene was amazing. I mean, there were, like I said, there were there were multiple Chinese movie theaters. There were three big Japanese movie theaters. There was a, a movie theater that showed Bollywood movies on Saturday night. Oh wow! Uh, there was lots of rep theaters showing classic twenties. There there was a silent movie theater, a quite famous one, famous because mm. the history of it ends in a murder which is like a really cool, oh, yeah. <laughs> really cool Hollywood story. But there was a silent movie theater. There were, there were rep theaters showing, you know, the, all the greats from the thirties and the forties. There was a, a theater mm -hmm. called the, the Los Feliz that had all of, you know, the, the, the European new wave and Bergman and Fellini and all of that, just mm -hmm. this incredibly rich stew. And that's what you, me and my friends would do on, on Friday, Saturday nights. We would we would cruise Los Angeles and go to go to a film, and then you could come home and uh, um, you know and and I, at that time I could there, I remember there was a period where I could go to the, I live right near the Los Feliz the European Rep Theater and I could go watch Bergman and come home and watch all the pre-code Warner's uh, movies those wonderful early 1930s movies on, on television. There was a, there was a station running them. They had bought the whole Warner's package and they were just running all of them. I saw duck soup. I was very lucky because I saw, I knew the Marx brothers a bit from television and all of that. And I knew Groucho from, he had a quiz show that I grew up on. Uh, you bet your life. Yeah. You bet your life. Yeah. <laughs> the duck. Bring the, say the secret word. Say the secret <laughs> word. Yeah. And, but I got to see duck soup for the first time they were doing a Marx brothers festival and I got to see duck soup on a big screen for the first time I saw it. And I, I can count like movies where the laughter has been so intense and so sustained that you can almost, you can't hear the next line. And Duck Soup was one of those. And I just fell in love with it. And I fell in love with Groucho. And when my writing partner, uh, Michael McDowell, my Beetlejuice writing partner, Michael McDowell and I were starting the, well, I always have to mention to my other partner, my, my producing partner, Michael Bender, who is one of the unsung heroes of Beetlejuice actually. But we were talking about, we, we had all formed a, a, a team, decided we were gonna work together. And what, what are we gonna do? And I think I said like a psychedelic ghost comedy. And who knew what that meant, but it kind of rolled off the tongue. Uh, and, and 
my my writing partner Michael McDowell. Uh, he lived in Boston at the time. He returned to Boston, and over the week, uh, over a weekend, he called me. He said, "Okay, here it is. It's the humans haunting the ghosts." And that just like that was like that singular idea that you kill for mm -hmm. for for if you're going to start developing a a movie. And I love that. Then came the next step. Well, the ghosts are too nice to haunt the humans. So they have to hire like a gunfighter, right? You know, to come in and be, because the, the humans as, you know, I, the, uh, I suppose led by the absolutely brilliant Catherine O'Hara are, are coming in and they're gonna trash our ghosts, Barbara and Adam, Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin. They're gonna trash this beloved house of them. They're gonna make it, you know, like terminally trendy and, and ruin, ruin their house. And so Barbara and Adam, they're too nice to scare them, so they're going to hire a gunfighter. And that became Beetlejuice. And then I, the first thing I said about Beetlejuice was he's Groucho Marx from hell. He's Groucho. Uh, I, like, I, it, it's so obvious to me now. Like, be, the things Beetlejuice does as a character are thoroughly unlikable, yet he's yeah. so likable. It's classic Rufus T. Firefly. It's Captain Spaulding. It's, you know, you know in, insulting Randy. <laughs> anarchistic uh all of that and you know and and in the very first draft of beetlejuice it was so much of a for me a, a, a nod to groucho and duck soup that in the very first draft of beetlejuice when beetlejuice meets barbara and adam the first thing he does is is say never mind that pick a card which is basically groucho's first line from duck soup but but the uh, but the cards that beetlejuice stands out it's a tarot deck and Barbara and Adam chose a card and it was death. I think that was deemed too dark, <laughs> maybe for, for the, the introduction, but, but that, was, that was how closely I associated Groucho and, and Beetlejuice at that point. Oh, that's so, that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. This has been so fascinating. I was wondering, would you be okay with some quick fast forward, some back Absolutely. and forth? All right. Larry, what is something you're a huge fan of that might surprise people? Oh, surprise people? I don't know how surprising it'd be, but I am I am like as I'm as obsessive about music as I am about films. And there is now uh out there in the world uh, a, a neo-progressive rock movement that's basically uh, a lot of European, young European musicians who actually are, were able to get a musical education. <laughs> and, and there's some really brilliant bands out there that I just love and I follow. And, the, and I suppose the sad statement about what streaming's done is almost all of them have day jobs. They have, this, they have these incredible bands, make fantastic albums. And maybe now that they're getting back on the road, some of these bands, they can start making money again after COVID. But You'll hear like, a, you know, like, like you'll hear a singer and I'll be thinking, of course, like Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin and any brilliant singer. And he'll say, yeah, well, you know, when I when I'm done teaching my kids, you know, at the school, I, you know, it's just it's very, you know, thank you streaming, I guess. Yeah. But, but I mean, but that I suppose that my and, you know, I, I, I love rock. I love jazz. I, I love classical mm -hmm. music. I, I'm as obsessive about that as I am about film. Very fair.
What is one film you could watch every week if you had to? Well, I'm going to have to say The Bride of Frankenstein because I always find something new in it. And for me and the way, the way my film mind works, again, it's a perfect movie and watching perfection never gets old. What is the most memorable experience you've had as an audience member of a film? I'm going to, I'm going to double down on that. Uh, and I'm going to mention it because I saw them back to back and it was just very interesting. And I, and I, and it was me thinking about comedy. I saw something about Mary in a movie theater. Uh-huh. And again, one of those movies, the laughter was so intense that you often couldn't hear the, the next line. Yeah. Uh, and, and just, just, wildly funny and for for reasons i forget why i saw a screening of abbott and costello meets frankenstein like the next week and those were like the two biggest laugh getters back to back and i mean could there be any two different films you know no No, there couldn't be (laughs) and no, they, they're good. And we don't need to go into why, I suppose. A great, but, a great yeah. double bill, though. Yeah, it would be, right? <laughs> but, but, it, but, I, but I love something about Mary. I thought it was as funny as any film yeah. I'd seen. And then to watch, which is, again, like a beloved favorite of mine, Abbott and Costello, with a real audience and a lot of people bringing their kids and just mm-hmm. seeing that movie, Rock the House, uh, that, that's a memorable one. Larry, do you have any memorabilia from films you've worked on? I had a lot of brilliant memorabilia, Michael, burned up in a house fire. Oh, yeah. oh I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. Oh. I, I had a just a wonderful uh, Beetlejuice scrapbook. I had um, an Adams Family scrapbook. I had posters. Oh. Uh, I had stuff from my time with Chewy Hark and, oh. you know, had a had a house fire and it all went up in smoke. Oh, a very, so very Zen moment because yes. I, yes. I just thought I can let this bother me forever and it's not going to bring any of it back <laughs> or I can, I can let it go. And uh, it wasn't that easy, but, but yeah, but I had a lot, I had a lot of great stuff that sadly mm. I don't have. I'm I'm so sorry to hear that. And as somebody not a not a house fire, but personal changes in my life, I'm letting a lot of things go. I I empathize and sympathize. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You are starting a new project for teaching people screenwriting. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Oh, I'd love I'd love to, Michael. Thank you. And and it's so nice talking to a film professor because I think you'll <laughs> understand. Uh, I I have along with. Um, my writing career, I've taught screenwriting for like 30 plus years, uh, primarily at UCLA, Los Angeles, uh, well, UCLA, mm-hmm. University of California, Los Angeles, their writer's extension program, which is like mm-hmm. a really well-regarded program. And I taught there for, like I said, 30 plus years. I've done tons of private workshops, uh, seminars, and I've just, uh, and I've, decided that first of all, in terms of my writing career, I want to write on spec now. I, yeah. I, and, uh, and so there, there's, there, there's a financial part to this. And I wanted to start a business that would 
hopefully allow me to just be writing on spec and not chasing assignments so much. And I'm yeah. starting the Wilson Writing Workshop. It's up now. And I'm going to be teaching screenwriting classes, the basics. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, over a weekend, I'm going to have weekend workshops. I'm going to have a Beetlejuice weekend workshop where I'm going to be teaching the fundamentals of screenwriting the Beetlejuice. I'm going to have an Adams Family workshop where I'm going to be teaching the fundamentals of screenwriting to the Adams Family. And, mm -hmm. and with those two, the thing I can do is I can really talk about Hollywood and the Hollywood machine and how mm -hmm. you survive and hopefully prosper as a screenwriter in those circumstances because they both have very uh, pretty dramatic stories about the development of those films. And then I'm gonna be doing consultations, uh, uh, which I think I'm very good at. I, when I, was, I was a studio executive, like you said, and really my job, my major job was writing notes for, for writers and writing notes on, on uh, para, particularly at Paramount, Paramount projects. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I honestly think I'm, I'm really good at, at notes and I'm really good working with writers as a consultant. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have good, I help with the ideas. I have good ideas that I bring to the table, but I think that I, I give writers kind of an extra shot of confidence that they can do it. And the, the one I suppose though, I'm most excited about, and I've not done this before, but this, and, and, and I bet you, you can appreciate this as, as a professor yourself, uh, there's an art to screenwriting. There's an art to teaching. I mean, they are yeah. not the same thing. And I've been able to blend them. And the one thing I've, I've never been able to do with my students is give them the time that they need to develop a, a, an entire, their first screenplay. Uh, you know, because they're going on, you know, they're taking a semester, then they're going on to their next classes. And, and it, that, you know, and I've had some students that I wish, oh my gosh, I wish we could have continued on together. So I'm gonna be offering a mentoring program where I'm gonna work with writers for a year. Uh -huh. uh, they're gonna to have to audition. I mean, I, I'm gonna to have to see a writing sample, but uh -huh. I really wanna take people, but find, find a sort of a select group of, of writers who, first of all, are, are, are dedicated to it, who really want to really want to be a screenwriter, really want to finish that screenplay uh, and and work with them over an extended period of time, have a weekly check in, uh, give them notes along the way and, and, and take them through the entire process. And I'm, I'm very excited about doing that because it's kind of a if I if I had a, a teacher's dream, that would be it being able to find a writer who, you know, I think has genuine talent and then just kind of nurture them and work with them. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, so it's uh, the Wilson workshop. It's, it's online now. And, uh, you know, I, I hope people will come check it out. I will link to the, uh, the, the website in the show notes so people can check it out. I know that there are tons of people who are offering screenwriting things, but to have somebody with your caliber of work and your experiences, both in Hollywood as a writer and an executive, I think that's invaluable. If people enjoy screenwriting, think they could potentially write producible screenplay, mm -hmm. I think working with you would be a dream come true, actually. Oh, well, th thank you, Michael. I'm, I might dust off an old screenplay I, I tried one time. Please, please do. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> 
thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely delightful. Um, thank you for for sharing stuff uh, about your, your love of movies. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Michael. This was great. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining me on Geek 4. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Geek4Pod or me on Twitter at MWBoyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for. That is why I won't do two shows a night anymore.